This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Jersey Sounds of Power Talk, 10 after the hour 10. The Knoxman Murio Sanyan is standing in for the Queen of Hearts, Larato Mbele. We are together until the hour 12. The lines are open throughout the show on 0861 We're going to focus on the 30 years of the South African National Defense Force. And we're saying 30 years because um, the South African military went through a transition not by itself, obviously the country transitioning from apartheid to a democratic South Africa. We know previously it used to be called the South African Defense Force. And if you listen to to almost all or most of the struggle songs that were sung by activists, uh, that were sung by cadres that were fighting the liberation war outside of the country. The word Sadaf was used consistently. Sadaf in reference to South African Defense Force and to say we are coming for you to liberate the country. And we know that there's been the winds of change politically and we transition from being an apartheid state to a democratic state. So just like we are celebrating 30 years of a democratic South Africa the South African military, now called South African National Defense Force, is also 30 years old, but there are a whole lot of uneasiness and disquiet about the state of our army. So we're going to reflect on a number of things. Um, some, they might be factual. Some, they might be just myth. Some, they might be concerns. So somebody who pay particular interest in the issues of of the army is uh, Helmut Hetman. Helm, um, He's an independent defense and military analyst. So there are some issues that we will discuss about the state of the South African National Defense Force and the operations in the country and also outside the country and some of the concerns. Helmut, good morning to you. Welcome to power. Good morning. Thank you. All right. I just want to kick off this discussion based on some of the concerning things that were said by top politicians in the country as high as the president and the minister of international relations and i'm asking this question because after the icj uh, judgment on the war on gaza um, and south africa's case to say there is a, a genocide that is committed by israel against the people of palestine after that icj ruling the president made I mean, obviously, in subsequent days, made a statement that South Africa should expect repercussions because Israel, together with its allies, are not happy with this particular judgment. And he didn't explain what repercussion means. So, but, you know, and then subsequently, the Minister of International Relations uh, said, yeah, because the journalist asked him about her safety and some of the messages that were directed to her personally. And she said, I got to check about my security with the Minister of Police, Becky Kelly. In these developments that are happening in geopolitics, what is the state of South Africa's military intelligence? Because there's been this cons- 
worried concerns about the state security itself. But when coming to military intelligence, what is South Africa's state? Look, I think military intelligence such or defense intelligence as such is reasonably functional. It's always a bit difficult when you're constrained in peacetime what you're allowed to do. You can't go and send out agents to go and gather information necessarily. You have to work through your attaches. I think that but the intelligence side is working reasonably well. Perhaps on the analysis side, we're perhaps a little too optimistic. Now, I'm not sure that applies necessarily to defense intelligence, but more widely. You know, we've got this notion that because we're rude to Washington once a week, uh, Islamist extremists would ignore us. And that simply isn't the reality. To, to an Islamist extremist, South Africa looks like a small version of the United States. The, the weaker side on defense intelligence is the cyber defense, cyber protection side, which is their responsibility, but it hasn't been properly funded, so they haven't been able to set it up properly. And in Africa, South of Sahara, South Africa is probably the most vulnerable country to cyber attack because we have a fairly advanced economy. We have a lot of stuff that works with, with Internet connections that makes us vulnerable. That is not as, as up to speed as it should be, primarily before funding, for funding reasons. There's been a lot of homework done at the, at the CSR, for instance, on behalf of the Defense Force, Defense Intelligence. Mm. Defense Intelligence have got the basic structure in place, but not all the people, not all the equipment. So there's a problem there. The, just to come back earlier to what you said earlier, in terms of repercussions after the case of the, the World Court, if there are repercussions, they will be economic. Um, you know, you're no longer part of the, uh, any of the favored trade agreements that we've got, for instance, the one with the United States, that we might lose. Um, but we might lose that anyway, given that we keep supporting Russia over Ukraine, uh, to the extent even that when the other BRICS countries, Brazil, China, and India, voted to condemn Russia as aggressor, in, in Ukraine, South Africa abstained. So then all the BRICS countries, only Russia obviously voted against it, and South Africa abstained. The other BRICS partners voted against Russia. And that, that sort of paints us into one corner. But back to, to defense, to the, the, there's nothing wrong with the people we've got in the defense force. Mm. Um, look, yeah, there, there will be some idiots, and there will be some thugs, and there are some crooks. So that's in every defense force. The SADF had them too, and so does every other military in the world. But generally, there's nothing much wrong with our people. There's nothing much wrong with the basic training. What is the problem is the funding issue. There's not enough money to go beyond training to actually become really competent. Mm. You know, it's one thing to just learn how to use your rifle. You need to shoot it a lot to actually get good at it. That are flying an aircraft, operating a ship, operating a tank, whatever. Mm. And then a lot of the equipment is old to the point of, of being virtually antique. And there's no money to replace it. There isn't even money to, to maintain it properly, let alone modernize, upgrade, or as I said, replace it. And then there are gaps. Pointly, the Gripen fighters don't have a medium-range air to missile. The Roy Falk attack helicopter doesn't have a precision weapon. Mm. Uh, and aircraft capability in the Army is very limited. We've got less, less capability than, say, Botswana. Um, so those are real problems. Now... As I say, the, the, only, the only real weakness with our people is that there isn't enough money for them to practice often enough. They can do the training, do the courses, but then actually practice their, their skills, their trade. Okay. So it's really a case of if you, you know, add, add money and stir, uh, the defense force should shake itself into, into pretty decent shape fairly quickly. But when I say fairly quickly, that's the caliber of the people. But to actually rebuild full capability, you're talking anywhere between 10 and 20 years. Yeah. 
It's very interesting, um, Helmut, when you talk about the the Air Force capabilities, because I thought probably it's something that has been corrected. Because I remember as far back as uh, 1999 or early 2000s, but as far back as then, um, somebody in a diplomatic call um, um, who mentioned, um, from Botswana perspective, who mentioned that... Uh, Botswana's Air Force, it's far, far, far more efficient uh, than South African Air Force. And I was like taken aback. Um, and apparently because they're trained or even supported and sponsored by the, U- by, by the USA. So you're telling me that many years later, uh, maybe three decades later, Botswana is still more advanced than South Africa when coming to the Air Force. Well, not the Air, not the Air Force. The, yeah. the Army's anti-aircraft capability. They have better radar and, and anti-aircraft missile systems than we do. And they're actually investing. The Air Force, but I think the, the, the Botswana Defense Force generally has a pretty good high, high standard of training and, and education. They're pretty competent. But the Air Force has got very old fighter aircraft. The only edge they have over South Africa and the South Air Force at the moment would be that the aircraft are probably flying, whereas our fighters are grounded because the support contract wasn't in place. But the, the Gripen is an, is an outstanding fighter. Um, given the right weapons and given enough uh, flying hours to get the pilots really competent, I don't think there's anything south of the equator we should really worry about too much. And there's nothing wrong with the pilots. I know, I've known, okay, not the last couple of years, but before that, I knew several of the, the fighter pilots we have. And I did remark once to the chief of the Air Force that they were so bloody impressive that I wish I was 50 years younger and I could join again and try to start all over. <laughs> because they would be such great guys to work with. Mm. Um, so the, again, we come again, we circle back to money. Mm. You know, the, the Botswana Defense Force is a whole lot smaller than, than ours, yes. mm. but they have a bit more of a balanced approach to funding it. Okay. So they can get new equipment, although the Air Force is now, the Air Force's fighter side is, is rather agent. They are looking at some new aircraft. In the region, the only ones who've got an aircraft that would really worry us would be the Angolans, and Zambia is getting there with some of the things they're thinking of buying. Mm. But overall, fortunately, there's no real conventional threat against South Africa in the, in the short to medium term. The the problem being that I don't think we have the capacity to deal with a major guerrilla war next door. Yeah. I mean, for instance, at the moment, if you look in Mozambique, Cabo Delgado, we have some troops there, but they have no air support. Mm. And they have no naval support to do an interdiction operation to stop weapons getting to the guerrillas. And the our troops with Moscow and the Congo. No air support. We saw that, that Oryx was shot up the other day because there were no attack helicopters escorting it. Um, that's not the time that's happened. Twice in Mozambique, uh, twice in the RC, once in, in Mozambique. Um, but really, that, that's where the problem lies now. If you're looking at a, a conventional military threat, there isn't one now, but the problem is these things can arise a whole lot quicker than one expects them to particularly in the era of major power competition. You know, the old SADF, the UDF before, the United Defense Force, the Union Defense Force, didn't expect to ever fight a conventional war until found itself fighting a conventional, semi-conventional war in Angola. They started re-equipping in the late 60s. It would have finished about 95 if the funding hadn't cut off to 89. So we sit here at the moment and say, well, there's no conventional threat. That's perfectly true. But can we be certain there won't be one in 10 or 20 years' time? I don't know. Yeah. So you need to you need to keep at least some capability alive so you can you can expand quickly, and that we aren't doing. So we, okay. we're not doing that. We're not keeping alive the stuff we already have. Mm. Not modernising it. We're not giving the time people time to practice. 
And at the moment, we don't even have the capability to support our troops properly in Cabo Delgado or the Congo. Mm. Okay. I'm in conversation with uh, Helmut Hedman, um, independent defense and military analyst. I want us to to look at our defense force broadly in terms of its components, Navy, Air Force, and, and so on and so forth. There is an important role that South Africa played um, in the in peacekeeping missions in the continent. Um, I think we we invested a lot, you know, so that we stabilize the the continent. And uh, you will recall the confrontations that our our soldiers had, for instance, in the DRC. And I know there was a stage where we lost some, but they were praised as having fought because they were ambushed and uh, we were we were outnumbered. But you know, our soldiers, you know, really, really fought back bravely and so on. And I want us, I want you to to analyze it this this question in two ways. Firstly, in terms of our security as a nation, and we are not anticipating any war or whatever, but you will never know with, with with geopolitics, our state of readiness in defending the sovereignty of this country in the wake of these budget cuts and so on, and whether we can still play a role. In, in the continent, um, in terms of, you know, peace missions, considering these budget cuts, yeah. Look, I would I would argue we shouldn't. It's, it's pure peacekeeping where everybody has agreed to settle it and just don't quite trust each other, um, you know. And you're just standing in the middle to keep everybody honest, a little bit like like Unpeg did in Namibia and, and Angola. Um, that we could probably still do. But to go into a more volatile situation, as in Mozambique, as in the DRC, as in it was in the Central African Republic, where we, give, we don't have the ability to provide air support at the moment. We don't have the transport aircraft to quickly reinforce troops on the ground or to extract them if things go wrong. Given that, I think we should actually withdraw until such time as we get back together. And, you know, national sovereignty threats, again, we, well, I've already said we don't even have a conventional military threat now. But we, uh, we have some fragile states within the SADC, if, if you want to be honest about it. The Sutu and Eswatini are pretty fragile, so is Zimbabwe. Now, for instance, if, if a civil war was to break out in the Sutu or Eswatini, we couldn't afford to do nothing about it because it would spill over the border into South Africa. But do we, in fact, have enough troops to do something about it? Um, I would argue the army is actually short about 10,000 uh, personnel to really be able to do what it should be doing mm. at current strength. And given that the Air Force is currently barely flying, you know, they, they wouldn't be all that effective. So we, if there was a major civil war to break out in, in Sutoi Swatini any, any time in the next couple of years, we would have a, a really serious problem on our hands. But if Zimbabwe was to slide into civil war, what then? Uh, just, just watch it. It's not a very, very nice thing to do. But, you know, would we be able to intervene effectively? And the answer is probably no, not at this stage. Yeah. Okay, let me go to the phone lines. I've got a, a call as the Katle Hopatura West. Good morning, welcome. Good morning, morning. How is it? Fine, how is it, man? Good, good. I just want to check with uh, your guest, right? Uh, what is his opinion on the view that I hold? And the view being that I personally blame the government for, for, for the death of our highly competent soldiers in 2013 in the Central African Republic, as well as the not so long ago, 
especially towards this operator, uh, Corporal Hadebe, because these guys are sent into operational environments without the necessary fire support, especially from air support as well as evacuation uh, helicopters, and they are left and hang out to dry alone in the middle of nowhere, and the government must take a blame for that. I just want to check what on that. Okay, yeah, I think I made a mistake by saying the DRC, though it was the Central African Republic, right? Well, even yeah. in the DRC, we've, yeah, had, we've we had issues just yeah. now, as you know. So, so you got look, the question. Yeah, the, the, blame, mm-hmm. the blame rests squarely with Cabinet, with the President and Cabinet. And if you go back, the Defence White Paper in 1996 actually said that the government would not risk the lives of South African soldiers by deploying them with inadequate or inferior equipment. Well, we've been deploying with inadequate equipment ever since. So that blame lies squarely on government. It's not following its own policy. So there you have it, Katleo. He says the blame f- falls squarely on the executive, the president and his cabinet, because they are not following up on what policy dictates. Moses and Bremley, good morning. Welcome. Morning, Murillo. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, Murillo, our problem in this country is that we can beaten hands down with any other country these days because we've got comrades instead of developing, advancing our military, they are pocketing for themselves. There's nothing in this country that is still heading the right direction. When it was still Sadaf, we were recognized as one of the best military countries in Africa. But now comrades are eating left, right, center. They are not developing anything. Look at Dinel, what they did with Dinel. It was just a matter of when, when, when ANC is functional, even everything in, in the country is functional. Even us people, we are functional. That's what it is today. We are not a country that will actually stand up for anything these days because of comradeship. They definitely uh, uh, down everything okay. inside the drain. Right. That's South Africa for us. Okay. I hear you there, Moses in uh, Bremley. Helmut Heitman, um, as we move towards the conclusion, okay, I've got another call. He's been calling, he has been calling for quite some time. Let me go to um, Semi in uh, in uh, Dobsonville um, just to, to give him an opportunity to pose a question. I know he has been phoning for quite some time. Um, Semi, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Murillo. I'd like to know from the guest how much has Kira deployments contributed to the deterioration of our army? Dinel Air Force that has got only 26 fighters, not all of them are fun- functional. And also, to, 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 uh, also, this thing of improving people in the South African Defense Force just because they are unemployed. How much has all of this contributed to the collapse of our defenses? Semi there in Dobsonville. You got the question, Helmut? Yeah, I think so. Look, it's, it is it's basically a funding thing. The government, the ruling party, like most ruling parties or most political parties in most countries of the world, is not interested in defense in peacetime because defense spending doesn't buy votes and they want to get re-elected. That's pretty standard with, with most countries. We've just taken it to a bit of an extreme. The reality there is that, again, what I said right at the beginning, there's nothing much wrong with the people in the defense force. Give them the right amount of funding, give them the ability to train up properly at, at all levels, and we'll be able to function again. At the moment, we can't. It's, but it's not the fault of those guys. 
And, you know, just earlier, the, the previous comment of the political interference, a very senior, I'm not going to name names, but a very senior Defence Force man who retired a little while ago, who himself came out of MK, once said to me in passing in a private meeting, he said, you know, Mr. Heitman, I wish the politicians would keep their damn fingers out of this Defence Force. So there still has been political interference with some of the appointments and promotions as well, mm. which is not well received by the, the officers and soldiers in the Defence Force. Okay. Um, and it's, it's getting less. I think the current chief in particular won't tolerate that. But it's been an issue. But it all boils down to the... I must say, though, you know, what your previous this last caller actually said, yes, the SADF was very highly respected as a competent force. It wasn't perfect, far from perfect. The current SANDF, the troops have done very well in every deployment. In Burundi, in the DRC, in Darfur, in the Central African Republic, in Comoros in 2006. And they've really done well. And at least two of the force commanders in Moscow have remarked that the only battalion they could go to war with is the South African battalion. Okay. Um, and it was a South African infantry battalion with South African Air Force attack helicopters, Roy Valka, that broke the back of M23 a while ago in, in the Congo. So it just does underline that the, capa- the inherent capability is still there. It's just been so badly neglected it needs, needs to be rebuilt. Okay. The voice of uh, Helmut Heidmann, we thank you very much, independent defense and military analyst, for your great contribution. It's 10.30 now. Nyakal Lote by with the news headlines. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.